was 325 A.D., and in an effort to unite the church and really all of the Roman Empire, Constantine, the first Christian emperor of Rome, called a large ecumenical council where he invited bishops and priests from all over the Roman Empire to gather to help resolve a huge conflict within the church. Now, why would there be conflict within a church, right? I mean, if we all follow Jesus, shouldn't we all just get along, right? How could there be conflict within a church? Well, there's a reason that there are over 30,000 Christian denominations in the world today. It's because we don't always agree on everything. Reminds me of the story of the man who had really reached the end of his rope, and so he decided to jump off a bridge to commit suicide. But a passerby noticed him and said, stop, don't do it. God loves you. The man who was about to jump off the bridge turned to the man, the passerby, and said, really? Yes, yes, I I know God loves you. Do you believe in God? The man who wanted to commit suicide said, yes, I do. And then passerby said, well, tell me, are you Christian, Jewish, or Muslim? And the man said, well, I'm, I'm actually Christian. And the passerby said, so am I. Tell me, are you Roman Catholic or are you Protestant? And the man said, well, I'm Protestant. He said, great, so am I. Tell me, are you Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, or Church of Christ? And the man said, well, I'm actually Baptist. You're Baptist, so am I. Are you Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? <laughs> the man said, well, I'm Northern Baptist. He said, you won't believe it, so am I. Tell me this, are you Northern Baptist, Great Lakes region, or Northern Baptist, Eastern region? And the man said, well, I'm Northern Baptist, Great Lakes region. And the passerby said, it's like we're brothers. Yes, so am I. And he began to inch closer and closer to the man who earlier had wanted to jump off the bridge. And so with one final question, he asked him, tell me, are you Northern Baptist, Great Lakes region, Council of 1879, or Northern Baptist, Great Lakes Region, Council of 1912. And the man said, well, I'm, I'm Northern Baptist, Great Lakes Region, Council of 1912. And with that, the passerby shook his head and he said, oh, man, well, then die, you heretic. <laughs> and he pushed him off the bridge. We Christians don't always get along, do we? What is it that could be dividing the church in 325 A.D. to such a, a, an extent that Well, even the Roman Empire was being divided. That Constantine felt like he needed to call a council. This council met in a city named Nicaea. And so it's been known ever since as the Council of Nicaea. And actually at that council, they crafted the Nicene Creed, which you have in the bulletin this morning, a statement of faith of who Jesus is, because that was the issue at play. You see, there was a famous popular preacher named Arius, whose sermons often rhymed, so they were easy to remember, and he taught that, well, Jesus, as the Son of God, was not, he, he was like God, but not fully God. He, he couldn't possibly be co-eternal with the Father. But as other church leaders, like Athanasius, read the gospel, specifically the gospel of John, it was very clear to them that, well, that Jesus is co-eternal, that there's never been a time when Jesus did not exist. And so there was a great debate and great discussion, and ultimately the Nicene Creed was written and all approved it except for two delegates to that council. Now why is it so important for us to understand that Jesus is 
co-eternal with the Father, that he's fully God and, and fully man. What relevance does that have to our lives today? To find out, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. It may be found on page 1127 of your Red Pew Bible. John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. I would encourage you to take that Red Pew Bible, leave it open throughout the sermon as I make reference to the text. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his Holy Spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you inspired John, your faithful disciple, to write down these powerful words that still transform lives today. God, we pray that as we read these words, these familiar words, that you might speak afresh and anew to us, that we might hear from you the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. John chapter 1 beginning with verse 1. Listen to God's word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light." The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the first century, any Jewish audience who would have heard John's gospel read for the first time immediately would have identified those first few words in the beginning. And they would have remembered the first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where we read this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. In the very beginning, there was God, and there has never been a time when God did not exist. He was in the very beginning. And John is helping us see that so was Jesus. He was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. As John wants us to see very clearly that Jesus is co-eternal with the Father, that He was with God the Father in the very beginning, that there's never been a time when Jesus did not exist, because Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh, God in human form. So that when Jesus speaks, we are hearing the very Word of God. It's in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What an interesting way to describe Jesus as the Word. Of all the terms that John could have used to describe Jesus, why does he call Jesus the Word? Well, in the original Greek, the Greek term for Word here is logos. We get the English word logic from logos. And John is helping us see that Jesus has come to reveal the logic or the mind of God. Because he is God in the flesh. That ultimately, if we want to know who God is and what God wants for our lives, we need to begin by looking at Jesus because he's the ultimate revelation to us of who God is and how God wants us to live today. That's why if I ever talk to someone who's never read the Bible before, I actually tell them, yeah, yeah, don't start in Genesis, which is a fine book, by the way, but you'll probably get stuck in Leviticus. So don't start there. Start with the Gospel of Mark. Mark is only 16 chapters. It's the first gospel written. You can read one chapter a day, and in just over two weeks, you'll, you'll read all of Mark. You'll get the story of Jesus. Then read Matthew, and then Luke, and then John. And after you've read the four gospels, the gospels that tell the story of Jesus, then read the nest, rest of the New Testament. After you read the New Testament, then read the Old Testament, because ultimately, we want to read all of the Bible through the lens of Jesus. Because he's the word made flesh that God has sent here to this earth to communicate a very clear message to you and me today. For just as we use words to communicate to one another, God has sent his son to communicate a very clear message that we might walk in the light and not in darkness. After all, isn't that what light does? Light brings clarity it helps us see what we otherwise could not. Reminds me, several months ago, I had the privilege of going down to uh, Idlewild, uh, New Mexico, near Eagle Nest, New Mexico, near Angel Fire. I was asked to preach. They've got an outdoor chapel there, and they've got a little preacher's cabin that you stay in during the week. And uh, I showed up early, uh, so I was there by myself that first night, and I woke up around 4 a.m., which is kind of early mountain time, but that's only 5 a.m. our time. And I had been drinking a whole lot of water the day before in order not to have altitude sickness. And when I woke up, I said, man, i got to go to the restroom. But it was dark in the room. I couldn't see a thing. But I knew I needed to go. So I got out as fast as I could, and I tried to hurry to the bathroom. And as I did, mm, I stopped my toe. And I'm grateful that none of you all were there because I wouldn't want you to hear what I said next. <laughs> it hurt badly. Well, as I limped my way to the bathroom and I turned on the light, I could see the piece of furniture that had been, was in my way that I didn't know was there. Yes, light helps us see clearly how we might avoid things that can hurt us. Jesus came so that we might walk in his light, so we might avoid those sins and temptations that can cause great harm to us. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges all of us that Whenever someone insults us, maybe slaps us on the right cheek, which is a form of insult in the ancient world, we're called to turn the other cheek. That we're actually called to pray 
for our enemies, to love our enemies, and to pray for those who persecute us. Now, instinctively, that's not what we want to do when someone hurts us. When someone hurts us, we want to hurt them back. We want revenge, don't we? But ultimately, resentment only hurts our soul. As St. Augustine, the early church father from the 4th century, said, resentment is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person will die. Resentment, unforgiveness, anger, over time will only eat at our souls. And so the best thing to do for our souls, the best thing to do for our relationships is to do what Jesus says, to, to pray for those who have hurt us, to offer forgiveness as he has already forgiven us. Yes, Jesus has come so that we might walk in the light, the light of his love. For Jesus goes on to explain in John chapter 8, verse 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light brings life. That's how plants grow. They've got to have light in order to grow. The whole photosynthesis process that we learned in biology class many years ago tells us very clearly that the only way a plant can grow is if it has light. It's only in the light of Christ that we can really grow and become all that God desires us to be. It's only in the light of Christ that we can find eternal life, the abundant life, the life that is filled with his love, which is the message he came to bring to you and me today, a message of his great love for you and me today. For Jesus explains to Nicodemus in the cover of darkness in John chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, and if you could read these words with me, that would be great. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God did not send his Son to condemn us, but to save us to demonstrate, to show us just how much God loves us. God doesn't love us this much. He loves us this much. And there is no greater love than a man who's willing to die for his friends. Yes, the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't abandon us in our sin. He becomes one of us and shows us what it means to, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and, and shows us what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and then he, in his great love for us and in God's love for us, dies on a cross as the perfect atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. And then on the third day, he rises again, conquering both sin and death, proving that he is who he said he was, the Son of God, the great I Am, the Savior of the world. Amen? Amen. Yes, that is what Jesus has come to tell you, how much he loves you and me. And so in light of that love, why don't we, out of gratitude for his great love for us, live out what he's called us to do? And the beauty of Jesus is that he's able to take the 613 commandments that are in the Old Testament, and he's able to narrow them down to just two. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to read, much, mess, much less learn and memorize 613 commandments. But I can manage just two commandments, can't you? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is confronted by an expert in the law, one of the Jewish Pharisees at the time, and he's asked this question. We read about it in Matthew 22, verse 35. It says, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus has brought clarity to the law for you and me today. It's not about the 613. It's really just about the two. That if we'll do these two things, then all the other commandments will fall into place. That if we'll focus on loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and if we'll focus on loving our neighbors, ourselves, then we will obey obey the great commandments that God has given to us. And not only does Jesus bring clarity on what the most important commandments are, but he also shows us how to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yes, we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength by doing what we're doing today, just as Jesus did Every Sabbath, Jesus would gather with other Jews to to study, to hear God's word, to praise God, to pray to God as we're doing today as a demonstration of their love for God. Yes, Jesus shows us how to to love God by by being the kind of man who, who was not only worshiping God regularly, but spending time alone with God, praying to God, fasting sitting in solitude and silence so that he might hear God meditating on God's word as he did in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus shows us how to love God by corporate worship, by time of solitude, silence and prayer, meditation on God's word. And ultimately, Jesus shows us how to, how to live out God's, to love God by loving others as he's first loved us, the second most important commandment. And how did Jesus love others? When Mark chapter 10 Verse 45, Jesus, in response to his disciples who were arguing about who was going to be the greatest, says these words, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus loved others by sacrificially serving them and even dying for them. We see in John 13, and while the disciples are in the upper room, Jesus, their leader, gets on his hands and feet, and he washes the disciples' feet, a job that even you couldn't require a Jewish slave to do, a most menial task, but Jesus does that to demonstrate his love for his disciples. In John chapter 8, we read the powerful story of a, a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, and rather than condemning her, he offers her grace and encouragement to go and sin no more. And of course, Jesus demonstrates his love even for his enemies as he's hanging on the cross in Luke 23 and prays for those who crucified him, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes, the message that God wants to send to us this Christmas, this Advent through his son, Jesus, our Savior, is that God loves us. Not this much, but this much. So this Advent season, may we seek to be a conduit of God's love Out of gratitude for God's love, may we seek to love God and love others with the same love we've received from God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have brought clarity to the law through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who's shown us how we are to love you and how we are to love others. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, help us to walk in their example that we might follow in their ways, O God. Help us to be the kind of people who bear witness to your love, not only in the things that we say, but ultimately in the things that we do each day. 
Oh God, may your will be done in and through us this day and every day. In your son's name we pray and all God's people said, amen.